This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. All right. Thanks for being with us. Joining me in studio now is Michael Geller, no uh, stranger to the program. He is an architect, a planner, developer. Uh, The title goes on and on and on. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for being in studio with us. Thanks for inviting me. Uh, You were talking with me on this uh, about on the weekend about this. And this is something for anybody that was paying attention to this particular story. It was Brent Totteran, who is the former city of Vancouver city planner. He went public and he even said he, he, he and his wife really talked about it before this decided to go public with their story. And this was their 10-year plan. They moved to the into the building next to Crosstown Elementary where that school was going to be built. It was built. Their child's now going into kindergarten. They, like many, many parents last week, got the email. You got a yay or a nay. They got a nay. And they're quite devastated by the fact they now don't know where their child's going to go to school. But the response to that story has been huge. You've written a column about it. What are your thoughts, even on how that unfolded? Just just for the listeners, Jill, when we say he got a nay, he got a nay because they had to put their names in a lottery. Mm -hmm. There were so few classroom spaces for so many people living in this planned, walkable community, and that's what the nay was. His kid could not go to the school immediately across the street from where they lived. And I know from growing up and talking to my friends and from our own family experience, many people choose where they live based on where the kids will go to school. It's a very, very important decision. And, uh, and I think what was particularly troubling for me is that for 30 years, the city of Vancouver has been developing these wonderful planned communities in Coal Harbor, Falls Creek, uh, more recently, the Olympic Village. They're designed as communities for people who don't have to have a car so they can walk. Mm-hmm. And now we're finding out that there aren't school facilities now that the children are ready to go to school. And I think it is worthy of discussion, not just to find blame, but also to try and make sure this doesn't keep happening. So why is this happening? Because the response, and again, you've written a column, the response when Brent started tweeting about this was huge, both with parents coming forward in the same situation uh, and others wanting to put, put, put blame. A lot of people blaming the city, but Brent came out saying, actually, the city did it right here in that, uh, with the example of Crosstown Elementary, they gave that land to the developer. The original school was going to be smaller. It was made larger. Uh, The same thing. There's been land set aside in Olympic Village, Coal Harbor, but those schools haven't been built. There are three key players. There's the city, which approves the development. There's the school board, which is a separate entity, but part of the city, but but separate from the city. But neither of them actually build the schools. The schools are built and paid for by the provincial government out of the property taxes that we all pay. And the problem, I think, is poor coordination between those three players. 
because something came up as well, and it, it, it's a strange phrase, but I heard it a few times. You might have even used it in that they need to see the whites of the children's <laughs> eyes before they even consider building a school, which doesn't seem like the most proactive way to plan something. I learned that expression from Greg Frank. And Greg, <laughs> if you're listening, he was the senior administrator with the school board in Burnaby when we were trying to build a school at SFU. And having been involved in the South Shore Falls Creek and a project in Toronto called St. Lawrence, where the planners and the administration of the schools were able to coordinate schools in place the day the first residents moved in. I knew that people moving to the new community at SFU would want to have schools in place. Mm -hmm. And when I suggested to this gentleman, can't we get a school in place, when the first residents moved in, Geller, he said, you have to appreciate school board administrators want to see the whites of the children's <laughs> eyes before they're ready to start planning the school. Yikes. Which, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but it doesn't work out that way for a lot of people. It's not as if we can't predict how many children will likely move in. And indeed, most school boards and various provincial government authorities related to education have statistics that can relate the number of children who are likely to move in based on the size of the homes being built. Now, there are exceptions. I remember out at university, University Hill, a lot of people were buying condominiums or renting apartments out in the new community at UBC just so that they could get their children into University Hill. They weren't even living in the units, but they had that address because it was so important to them. So yes, you can't always predict with great precision, but you can get a general idea that when you're building a lot of townhouses, and in fact, the city requires you to build family-oriented housing as part of the approval process, that there's a good chance kids will be moving in. So it almost seems like Vancouver in this regard is a bit of a victim of its own success in that it's built these communities. And for a long time, I think there's been this idea, oh, families don't live in condos. They don't live in these places in the sky. Clearly they do, because there are a lot of kids in these communities. You're right to point this out. I once did an interview with the New York Times that came to Vancouver because they were so intrigued that we were building developments like False Creek and Coal Harbor and encouraging families with children to move in, and they were moving in. Now, when you and I think of New York City, you think of families living on Park Avenue and downtown with children. But most North American cities, families with children, if they have the means, do not choose to live in apartments. Vancouver has been an exception. And I think credit does go to former planners, uh, including Ann McAfee, who once did a publication called Housing Families at Higher Densities. And it was done to, I mean, at one point, we used to have to make sure that all the family units were generally within the first five floors, because that was deemed to be an appropriate distance for the, the parents to stand out on the balcony and call the kids back in. <laughs> wow, the things you don't think about when you look at those buildings. Uh, do you think it is, though, when you talk about the lack of communication between those three levels, the city, the school board, and the provincial government, uh, this came up when talking to Brent last week as well. There's no incentive. The school board says that, yes, Olympic Village and Coal Harbor are on the priority list. That doesn't really mean anything because it doesn't give a timeline. It doesn't give a time frame. It doesn't say the school will be built by this particular year. There's no incentive when the school board in Vancouver has schools that are half empty elsewhere in the city. They don't care if parents have to drive their kids to school. In fact, it might be better for them because it ups attendance at other schools and they no longer have to talk about the very controversial issue of closing schools. 
Unfortunately, you're right. Now, I would not say they don't care. I think I'd like to think the school board officials and education officials appreciate that it is somewhat tragic when families cannot send the kid literally across the street. But you're absolutely right. If you are sitting there with a school that's half empty, and even though you might be able to build some new housing nearby, and in three or five years, some more families move in, the immediate priority is to fill up those existing classrooms. And that's exactly what's happening. That's the argument for for not uh, building these new schools as quickly as they should. Uh, So what needs to change as far as, is it the funding mechanism? Is that outdated? Is it having more foresight into this is what this community is going to look like in the next few years? Make sure there's a school. What needs to change? Well, I think the fact that we're talking about it, I mean, this has been going on for literally decades. The school was initially planned in Coal Harbor 30 years ago. Hmm. Literally thousands of homes have been built in Coal Harbor. Now, the sad part is that although there are a lot of family-oriented townhouses and apartments, because there was no school on within the community, a lot of families have chosen not to move in. So it is a bit of a chicken and an egg. But I think what we need to do is start recognizing how important it is to make sure we're planning... This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Not waiting till we see the whites of the children's eyes, but recognizing that these new communities, including communities with townhouses and apartments, can attract children. We are continuing now with Michael Geller. He is my guest in studio, an architect, a planner, a consultant, developer. Just before the break, we were talking about schools and the planning or lack of planning, I suppose, when building neighborhoods and the lack of communication. And that is part of Michael Geller's column, which is currently in the Vancouver Courier. Uh, we've opened up the phone lines. If you have a question about this or if you want to share your experience, because certainly a lot of people were sharing their experiences after former Vancouver City planner Brent Totteron shared his experience about his son not getting into the school literally across the street last week. Uh, let's go to Glenn. Glenn is on the line from Maple Ridge. Glenn, what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I just want to spitball an idea. Fortunately, my boys have gone through school and, 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 they're, and they're done now. But uh, why don't, with, if, with urban planning, and this might even work in rural, instead of building big institutional schools, don't, I, 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 for lack of a better term, um, why don't they have, why don't they, especially in the urban areas, have smaller smaller rooms where the government can lease out a space. You've got 30, 60 students in a, in a smaller area, and you can scatter them around so that they are in the neighborhood. And, you know, like, I think that might be a better plan. It would even work in rural areas where, where instead of taking a school bus for three hours, they have a... They have a teacher, almost homeschool style, but with a with a registered teacher um, teaching the class and with the internet connections and all of that. I mean, I think maybe we got to restart thinking education. 
All right, Glenn, uh, thanks for that. And uh, Michael, that's actually something Brent Totteran said as well, that in the rural areas, say Surrey, Langley and places, you can put portables on the school grounds. It's not perfect, but it is a solution. And he even floated that idea that to be nimble or to be more creative when it comes to planning, Mm -hmm. if the school's not big enough, rent office space, do what private schools do. And we can do it in uh, urban centres as well. But I think Glenn raises an interesting question, which is, you know, is there an average size school? Are we building smaller schools? Uh, I, I was away last week. I played golf with a fellow whose son went to a high school in St. Louis with 4,700 students. Wow. 4,700 students. <laughs> wow. And uh, when I expressed shock at that, he said, well, you know, that, that's the size of some of the high schools in that particular city. Generally speaking, we do have smaller schools, but it gets down to economics. It's the cost of the mm-hmm. administration, the principal, the vice principal. And generally speaking, you want to try and amortize those costs over a certain number of students. But I do think we tend to have smaller schools compared to other cities in North America. Well, and you mentioned Falls Creek School, and it's mentioned in your column as well, and how that was built as part of the Falls Creek community. I mean, that school's been at capacity. It's been a lottery for several years as well, which on the one hand shows success, that people want to go to that school and people are living in the neighborhood, but also a lot of disappointment, much like uh, Brent Totterin had last week. There's a lot of people living in that neighborhood as well that aren't getting into that school. A lot of the credit for that school, though, should go to the then mayor, Art Phillips, who Mm. was behind the Falls Creek development because he made sure a number of things happened. He made sure that there was a school in place. He also made sure that there was public transit in place the day the very first residents moved in. And he came up with a creative subsidy arrangement for BC Transit. Uh, After I worked on False Creek, I went to Toronto and I mentioned this in the column, worked on the St. Lawrence Project. And once again, it was Mayor David Crombie who insisted that there not only be an elementary school, there be two. One for the public school system and one for the Catholic school system. He even told them they had to share a gymnasium, which is completely unheard of at the time. But the point is, there are some creative solutions. In order to make sure that school got built at the beginning, they put six floors of housing above it. So there are different approaches. One of the reasons I wanted to chat to you about this is because I still see other communities throughout Metro Vancouver, in Maple Ridge, in other suburban municipalities, we're building new communities without adequate transit and without adequate schools in, in nearby locations. I think it's wrong. Well, and it doesn't really make sense when we're telling people we want them to get out of their vehicles and walk more. If you build a community with a school next door, but you're driving half an hour because you have to go to a different school, it completely flies in the face of the whole point. When we did the school that's up at SFU's University, and we managed to get that school built a little faster because we actually arranged with the university to give a building that they weren't fully utilizing to the school board as the base for the school. And that was quite a discussion. But again, it was a creative solution. One of the interesting things, though, is when I showed them the plans, they said, well, where's the parking? And I said, we're not going to have parking for parents. (laughs) This is a walkable community. And in the end, they did agree that we would have a couple of spaces for the staff and for parents uh, who had had children who were handicapped so they could drop them off.
Where do you think we need to go with this then? You've, you've cited the lack of communication in the column. What's the first step to trying to fix this? Well, the first thing, and I did mention at the end, is Carol James uh, introduced something called the additional school tax. Now, most people who are listening to you right now know that that money was really only going to go into general revenues. It mm-hmm. wasn't even for schools. Well, as a starter, I would suggest that the government should take all of that money they're collecting through their additional school tax and devote it in its entirety to the funding of new schools, as well as the upgrading of existing schools. Because at the root of this problem is money. And I think the more money we can get, anyone who looks at their property tax bill will see we're all paying a lot of money for schools. But but it is a very important, as I said before, for many parents, it's the key decision as to why they move into a particular location, the quality of the schools. One other thing, though, mm-hmm. is maybe we need to look at the catchment philosophy. Like, I don't know all the rules right now, but I do recall at one time that the boundaries were softened so that I was told, and this may or may not be correct, that many of the students in the West Vancouver schools actually live in North Vancouver, but they drive over because they'd like to have their kids in those schools and there's available classrooms. Maybe we need to rethink all the philosophy of catchments so that much more priority does give to people who are literally living across the road from a school. All right. We'll have you back to talk catchments another time. That is Michael Geller. We're right out of time. Architect, planner, property developer. If you want to weigh in, give the buzz line a call. 